We welcome you inside another COSIDA webinar, one that's been in the making. To do is that we want to make sure that we're in the process of delivering content to you that is topical, that means a lot, and we think the topic that we put forward today is certainly part of the conversation that we'll not only have today, but over the next couple of weeks and months as well. Uh, our corporate partner on this is Capital One. We thank them for their continued support, especially during this listening and leading series. Uh, a reminder that all of this this afternoon will be available through COSIDA later on in the day, either through COSIDA.com or through the COSIDA Connect online community. It'll also be offered this webinar as a uh, COSIDA um, installment on the YouTube channel. So there are going to be plenty of places where you can share this. If you know of your colleagues who are unable to be with us today, uh, please take time to make sure that people get this content. It's going to be rich and it's going to be fairly dynamic. As you know, with all webinars, you have the opportunity to bring questions forward. You can do that through the back end in the comments section. That'll reach me and then we'll interject that as we go along. So as you see on the screen, my name is Trip Durham. I am a NACMA past president and I am the owner and operator of 2D Consulting LLC here in Burlington, North Carolina. Our guest today, uh, we've had a chance to invite Dr. Jared Spencer. Dr. Spencer is a sports psychologist and he's also the founder of the company Mind of the Athlete. And that's a sports psychology company that's committed to improving the lives, the emotional health of the, the athlete. Uh, and we've asked him to take what his learnings have been in working with athletes and translate some of that into what could really apply to us as athletic administrators as we're going through this really weird period in our history. And I, I do think that as we look at some of the mental stresses, the things that we are experiencing these days that Dr. Spencer can work us through the understanding of that. And you may remember that Dr. Spencer was with us in Orlando in 2019 at the COSIDA conference there at the World Center. So his face is certainly not unfamiliar to us. He's got a background in working with Olympic athletes, college teams, high school teams, as well as high school athletes, as well as some others. So happy to have him with us today. And Dr. Spencer, uh, as I had just mentioned, these are some interesting times. Yeah, it's truly a privilege and a pleasure for me to be presenting to the great athletic administrators today on this important topic of mental health and how we can put some tools in their own mental toolbox to help them along the journey during this uh, unique pandemic. So let's jump right into it and let's try to build it from the base up. When we think about the word anxiety, I'm sure that there are 60 or 100 different definitions that we could put on anxiety. How do you define anxiety and in terms of the psychology of it, how does anxiety affect who we are? Yeah, I'm not in a psychobabble. I'm an athlete saying, keep it real simple for me. And so the definition of anxiety that I like is fear of the unknown, fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me economically? How's my finances going to hold up? Am I going to get the coronavirus? How long do I have to work from home? 
what's going to happen to the long-term economy or even the sports world. All of those unknowns create a tremendous fear within us. And when that occurs, we experience all kinds of different symptoms, a churning of the gut, uh, the cold, clammy hands, and at its worst, anxiety attacks, which as you can see, I was on TV just a month or two ago talking about this because anxiety pre-pandemic was already at a really high level. And so many people were suffering in silence, but the reality is uh, we were all pretty stressed and now this pandemic has pushed many of us over the edge. You referenced that there are negative effects within our bodies. As we start to feel the hands or the churning of the gut, is it safe to assume, I don't want to make a leap here, but does one thing beget another begets another? Is it a domino effect of things that happen inside the body when anxiety does start to show itself? Actually, it's, you're right. It's the fear of fear cycle that once we experience some of these symptoms, we begin to say, what's going on? My heart's beating fast. Am I okay? And then we get more aware of our physiological symptoms and it can put us in that vicious catch-22 loop, which is one reason why at this moment in history, anxiety is going to be escalating. Uh, I am not going to make this about me by any means, but I went through some anxiety attacks in my late teens, early 20s, and I found a way to cope with it. I'm sure it's not a one solution fits all. Is there a variety of tricks, techniques that you've seen or that you've been able to suggest that you've seen working results coming back? Well, yes, there's a lot of different mental tools we have to put into one's toolbox. However, the most important tool, nothing I'm gonna to say to help a person with anxiety is ever gonna make a difference if we don't take care of the number one factor in performance first, which is actually sleep. Hmm. If we can improve a person's sleep, a lot of the symptoms of anxiety can begin to dissipate. Okay, so why? Uh, Bryant Gumbel, I remember saying years ago that if he got like three and a half hours sleep every night, he's good to go for the rest of the day. Why does sleep matter? And is there a varying degree? Is there a varying number that suits to get rested, to be ready to go? It's true that every one of us has a magical number that if we can get that amount of sleep, we actually feel optimal. Now, the, the way we can determine when we should go to sleep and fall asleep, since it's different for everybody, is this. Tonight, each of us is going to experience a great big yawn. And somewhere this evening when that yawn comes, I want you to look at your watch and say, okay, an hour from that yawn is the ideal time that we would fall asleep. So I know that my yawn usually comes around nine o'clock-ish, and usually it's about 10.10. Like literally there's a minute that you and me and everybody would fall asleep tonight. And if we hit that mark consistently for three nights in a row, at that point in time, after three days, we start to feel our best. I chuckle partly because we're all empathetic, right? If we see somebody yawn, we tend to yawn ourselves. You mentioned the right. word yawn, and I was ready to yawn and 
look at my watch and go for an hour. <laughs> but you say there's a magic number. How will we know if we hit that magic number? If we started an hour after the yawn the night before, how do we know the next morning or the next three mornings that we've hit our magic number? Well, there's a time ideally that we're going to wake up without an alarm clock. And that's kind of, kind of the beautiful part of the pandemic right now is that most of us have that ability to just kind of wake up when we want to wake up. That wake up part's not the problem. The problem, which is much more uh, complicated than sleep, is the reason most of us are not hitting that mark each night and falling asleep when we should, especially now, is because we have a massive cell phone addiction problem in America. 90% of the people I poll are lying in bed at night with a blue light that's literally giving them anti-melatonin when the brain's trying to release the melatonin to put us to sleep. Therefore, we get our second wind, we're up a little bit longer, we're tired but we can't fall asleep. Now we're sleeping in longer in the morning, uh, getting out of bed at 10 o'clock. This is going to have a systemic problem. And so if I want to solve mental health and anxiety, I got to solve sleep. If I want to solve sleep, I got to say to all the people listening, when that yawn comes this evening, there's no more electronics. You're not watching the news and all the anxiety. There's no cell phone in your bed. You're going to charge it away from your bed on the far side of the master bedroom. And you're actually going to get in, in bed. And believe it or not, old school, you're actually going to read a book. And if you just pull out a book for pleasure, it'll knock you out. You'll fall asleep. You'll feel so much better. No more electronics after first yawn. When I see my wife later on, I will mention that nugget to her as well. Let's uh, let's shift gears. When we all gather at convention every year, part of the reassurance that we get is that when we're standing in the hallways talking to our colleagues at different schools, we recognize, oh, wait, you've got the same issue I have. And again, it gives us a little bit of comfort knowing that we're not alone out there trying to fight something. And that's sort of the backdrop to this question. We are now all not alone as we are fighting this societal trend of staying locked away, sheltering in place, not leaving anywhere. What impact is the pandemic having on the anxiety as you start to look at everything that is wrapped into the human experience? Mental health is starting to get a little bit more attention, and rightfully so. There's really three big problems out there. The first is, of course, the coronavirus uh, medically. The second is the economy and what's going to happen with that. But the third one is the fear, the worry, the uncertainty, the anxiety, the mental health that's being exacerbated because of all of this. And because mental health is finally getting its due, people are recognizing, I don't have to suffer in silence. Uh, you know, there's a wonderful article in uh, Harvard Business Review that actually talked about how more and more business leaders are coming forward and saying, hey, me too, I've, I battled some uh, anxiety and I want you to know that it's okay to be not okay. And so that Harvard Business Review article is just more evidence that people don't have to suffer in silence anymore, especially as we go through the pandemic. So as you describe those, are those traits or are they symptoms? Yes, a lot of people are fearing are fearing the fear. Yeah. But are we all experiencing or are there leaders that you have talked to that you see a common thread of symptoms 
as a byproduct of all of this? Yes. One of the things that kind of jumped out at me this week is I've spoken to several high-profile business leaders, uh, people within athletics as well, that have all described to me this tightening of their chest. It just feels like there's a bowling ball sitting on their chest. It's not there all the time, but it's a wave that has come over them. And in full disclosure, I felt that same symptom at times since this craziness even started myself. And so that symptom is often associated with anxiety, that it's really one of those symptoms that comes upon us and it's a little alarming because at its extreme, uh, one business leader even ended up in the hospital. Uh, that's not uncommon uh, because those symptoms of anxiety attacks can even proceed to a panic attack, can feel like a heart attack, and that's because the stress we're going through has exceeded our brain, our, our nervous system's ability to cope. You are a uh, doctor of psychology. I get that. I'm not going to try to assign you with the expertise of being a doctor of internal medicine, but how do you know the difference between what is an anxiety attack or a panic attack and something that might be more? What we don't want to do, obviously, is overload the hospitals. So what can we do with our own filter, our own assessment to know if it's this or that? Yeah, great question. And, and the truth is, when it gets to that level of, you know, this is a significant tightness of my chest, it is really hard to discern. And it's, of course, because of the coronavirus, I'd be the first to say, you know, if, if you have any of those symptoms, you need to defer to the medical professional. Uh, that being said, um, what we know about anxiety is the nervous system has two really key parts, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the sympathetic, which is go, 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 when that's activated like really high, we'll have an anxiety attack. We'll first get stressed, then we have an anxiety attack. And beyond that, it's, it's the panic attack. So the first thing is just being able to identify, you know, am I anxious? Am I stressed? Am I having an anxiety attack? Which, by the way, if there was an anxiety attack or panic, it usually comes on really hard for three minutes. It'll hit its peak. And then it'll take about 17 minutes to subside, and then it usually fades away. That's one of the ways we could discern whether or not this was a, a heart attack or anxiety or panic attack. That sounds really familiar. Again, late teens, early 20s. I think you yeah. described it just about the way I felt it. Stay on the uh, parasympathetic and the sympathetic just for a moment. I know that uh, our good friends at COSIDA, they've got the, the imaging up on the screen um, you mentioned the parasympathetic is go, go, go. The sympathetic then by opposite would be what? Yeah, actually you had it reversed, but it's it's pretty close. My fault. It's My sympathetic fault. is go, go, go. That's what wakes us up in the morning. And as sports information directors, people that are athletic administrators, this is what we are really good at. We are good at go. And oftentimes going on six hours of sleep, six, seven days a week. And the problem is it's our parasympathetic nervous system, which is really, quite frankly, in our culture, been underdeveloped, our ability to relax, to slow down. And what's really kind of unique right now is that it's been go, 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 go. And we were thriving a month ago, two weeks ago. But now the nervous system is kind of going through all these funky shifts in transition because it's like, 
I don't have that same level of go because the sports are shut down in America. And so it's kind of thrown our nervous system a bit out of whack right now. All right, so let's go down this hole just a little bit because I think there are like five or six things there that we could pull apart. What do we do with the pent-up energy that we're used to in that go, go, go sympathetic division? Well, I, I think that first we should work out. I mean, let me just say that, right, that the more we sweat every single day, the better. So with with whatever energy we have, we have to channel that into sweating. And there, there are a couple of reasons. One, you're going to increase your immune system. Two, you're going to heat up your body and kill off any potential uh, infections that may be developing. And three, you're gonna get the body's release of serotonin, happiness drug, dopamine, pleasure drug, uh, endorphins, painkillers. So with that extra pent up energy, we really wanna channel it into making ourselves so physically tired that we actually want to sleep at night because we've uh, spent ourselves. Which goes back to the yawn and the one hour and the blue light and all of that. So on the parasympathetic side, if we're yes. going to look for a high road through all of this weirdness that we're going through, the high road could be that maybe we are teaching ourselves to relax a little bit more, yes? Trip, you just hit it on the head, man. That's it. I mean, if people say if there's an upside to the pandemic, I think our nervous systems are gonna get more in balance. I think that you, me, and every one of us in athletics was running at a pace that was unsustainable. We all knew it and know it. And so as our, our bodies, uh, what's really interesting about this too is literally right now because of the pandemic, many and most of us are going through the crash. And the crash usually occurs for most of us in late May, when the NCA season's over and everyone's left the college campus, all of a sudden we feel this crash. We get swollen glands. We have less motivation. We sleep more. Maybe we catch a cold and our drive, our motivation just goes really low. And that's healthy and that's good and that's appropriate. Interestingly, Many of us working from home are having trouble working from home right now because we're experiencing that crash in March. Yeah, but that crash, and I love the term, and by no means am I trying to dissuade you to get off of that term, but it's not so much a crash. It's more like a smack because we hit a brick wall on March 11th when the country was saying, we're done, and we didn't have a chance yeah. to fall off. We stopped. So... <laughs> What are your thoughts about how it is that we've just abruptly come to an end? Sure, but I love at your the same time, I guess, well, I guess at the same time, while it is that we are coming down on a crash, I mean, we actually got two different things working here. Correct? Yeah. So, look, what we're experiencing right now, crash, smack, is that there's a neurological resetting that's happening for all of us. And what I'm saying is it's okay for all of us if we find ourselves sleeping a little more, uh, not as motivated to hop on our computers and trying to work from home and push ourselves. It's okay if we find ourselves wanting to watch another Netflix. Um, it's okay if, if we're just slowing down the pace I think that our parasympathetic nervous systems every single day, really for many of us in athletics, 
is craving activation and, and bringing balance. And so after March 11th, like balance is coming, but in that process, it can just make us feel a little out of sorts. Yeah, so for those of you listening, uh, we did not just give you a note from Dr. Spencer to take to your supervisor to say, I've been told it's okay to watch one more Better Call Saul. You still got to go to work, right? And that's uh, yeah, this isn't that kind of permission, but <laughs> the motivation. Go ahead. Go ahead. The motivation's really tough because we are now in an environment that is not our normal work environment. We've had to make shift offices in our homes. We've had to now cohabitate a little bit longer with our significant others. Uh, there are some that are in an apartment that do not have any type of outlet, whether it be a pet or somebody to wake up alongside of. When we think about the crash or the smack against the wall, knowing that all of a sudden our environments have changed so drastically, I don't know if I'm asking, is there a tip or a trick, but how would you address some of the questions that could come into people going, how do I adjust? One way to adjust is this. If the weather is nice, we have got to get outside, work outside, bring your computer outside for, without a doubt. We'll go stir crazy in our homes if we're there too long. And if we are in our homes, here's what I'm suggesting. Find the spot, I know, I know this is hard, but if the sunlight is coming in a particular window in the morning, set up your spot there. If you have your shorts and a t-shirt on inside, it may be a little chilly outside, but that sunlight is coming in on you, that's gonna help release vitamin D. It's gonna help us feel better. And so if the morning spot is in the living room because of that sunlight, but the late afternoon is maybe on the back porch or the kitchenette because the sunlight is there, as much as we possibly can, put our work environment where the sunshine is and that'll make us feel better. Is video conferencing enough to get us over the hump of not having that daily engagement? In working from home now, we can't just drop into Jenny's office next door or go shoot the bull with Mike down the hallway. We don't have that anymore. We can't go to coffee. We can't go to lunch. Uh, are there other tricks beyond just the video conferencing that will allow you to retain that normalcy psychologically so that you don't feel like that now everything is totally shut down? Look, I think the truth to that question is we don't know. Um, this is unprecedented. And so we know that consistency is key of sleep. We know that consistency of the schedule is key. We know that exercise every day is key. We know that social interaction, even if it's just electronic, is absolutely vital for lowering anxiety, decreasing stress. But the reality is this is uncharted time. And because many and most of us struggle with some type of anxiety or depression at times, what we're going through, and an isolation can exacerbate it, can bring upon those mental health concerns a little bit more. Uh, we could all slip into our vices, our, our challenges that we have. And so this is why it's uncharted territory. There's a question that has come in and it really boils down to eating your feelings. Uh, society went through a, what I would call a social media panic. We got to go buy this and that from the store. We got to accumulate everything into our pantries just in case. 
Now people have all of this snack food. They've got these items. They're sitting around. They've got idle time. They've got idle hands. Um, is there, other than not doing it by locking your cabinet, are there any tips about not eating your feelings? Can you take us behind the psychological madness that does get us to a point where we feel like we just need to eat instead? Well, let me just begin by saying that stress makes us crave high fat, uh, high sugar, high salt food. That's just uh, biologically how we're hardwired. What we do know about mental health is that the major focus of mental health research in the last seven to 10 years has all been about the gut. That what we eat dramatically impacts how we feel. In fact, the lining of our gut is one of the immune system's first defenses. And if we're putting garbage in and really wearing down that immune system, that's not that's not what, uh, wise at this point in time in history when we need our immune system high. So the advice I'm giving is as best we possibly can, like when it comes to what we're putting in our body, we wanna to try to eat as clean as we possibly can to lower anxiety, lower stress, increase the immune system, which basically means then we have to have healthier outlets to let out the tensions that we're feeling because emotional stress will manifest in physical symptoms and we need the outlets to let out the tension. Let, let me go down that path for a second and say, most of us that work in athletics, we're so busy that we don't even have hobbies or a lot of outlets. And what this pandemic is doing is giving us the opportunity to say, okay, maybe I need to develop a new hobby to let out the tension in a positive way as opposed to slipping into my vice. Another question that has come in, uh, and we're going to reflect on our open to this piece. Uh, you have experience in working with high school athletes, which would lead me to think that you understand the psyche of younger people. One of the questions that has come in, if we're doing all this for ourselves, trying to make sure that we stay healthy, we stay socially engaged, how do we do this for our kids, knowing that we're probably not sitting the kids in front of a video widget? to have playtime with their friends? How do we make sure that we're balancing their psychological needs while we're trying to do ours at the same time? One of the upsides to the pandemic is that it's going to encourage and give us the opportunity to really engage as dads and as moms with our kids a little bit more. And that when you say to somebody, hey, sorry, I was late for that meeting, or um, hey, I've got this, you know, I'm, do, I'm focusing on my kids right now. Many and most people are saying, oh, I get it. That, that makes sense. You're throwing a ball with your son in the yard and you wouldn't nimbly, normally do that at two o'clock, but that's healthy, that's wise. And so I actually think that uh, this pandemic is giving us all permission to say, you know what? I don't want my kids just looking at a screen all day and I need to engage them and get them outside to break that pattern. And so it's actually encouraging and supporting us to play with our kids a lot more than we may have done if the pandemic didn't hit. Yeah, so in a way, uh, we are providing you with a, a note of excuse or a note of absence to a point, because to your point, 
we're all in it together and we should all be empathetic because we're all thinking the same thing. We talk about food. Yeah. We talk about snacks. We talk about pent up energy. Uh, I heard from a buddy of mine today. Um, I said, tell me some good news. And he said, well, my hangover is not as bad today as it was yesterday. And I think he was being a bit coy about that. But what about alcohol in the face of all that we're facing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So let me just begin by first saying, like, my heart really goes out to those that are struggling with alcoholism and the addiction, because obviously it's a little bit harder to find the resources of AA and go to the communities and the meetings. So uh, first and foremost, when it comes to that level, my heart really goes out to those individuals that are struggling with that. On the more casual social level, uh, when it comes to alcohol, I'm okay with, you know, the glass of wine or the beer at the end of the day, something to kind of like just take the edge off a little bit. I think there's an appropriateness with that. Um, but when we're using it to self-medicate and we find ourselves day drinking or find ourselves having a little bit of a hangover and, and, and drink a little bit too much, I think to myself, okay, that may just be an outdated, more maladaptive coping resource that we have for stress which is why it, it, this is all circling back to the key point, which is this is our time in American history when we have got to put mental health on the forefront and finally say within athletics, not just for the athlete, but for all of us in athletics, hey, it's okay to work on the mental side of our game in life. And we got to give us tools in our toolbox to manage the emotionality that we're struggling with. To our listeners, I know it sounds a little bit uh, sporadic right now, but we're fielding questions that are coming in from the back end of this webinar as well. Um, are you talking with any leaders these days that you get a sense that they're either managing what's realistic or what is sustainable? Are you hearing from leaders that may be putting too many unrealistic goals upon their staff or really unobtainable goals through this transition. I know we're only about two, two and a half weeks into this weirdness, but is there a place in which a subordinate could possibly make noises back up the chain to say, look, we can try to get to this, but right now what you're asking, it's unobtainable, it's unreasonable. So there's a lot in that doc, I realize, but your reactions? Yeah, I really feel like one of the things that's occurring from the pandemic is that it's forcing all of us to keep our minds more in the moment. That if anxiety is fear of the unknown, another way of describing anxiety is that your mind is going too far in the future. If your mind goes in the past, we might actually feel more depressed. If our mind goes too far, spends too much time in the future, we're often going to feel anxious. The only place our mind is truly safe is right here, right now in the present moment. Now, that's important because the information that we're all getting is changing day by day. So for those that keep talking about the future or next week, gosh, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost insensible to really put an emphasis on that because we don't even know. Like We all wake up every day and find out more news. And what I'm saying is the communication lines have got to be open up and down the chain of command, that our mind is safe in the moment and keeping our mind in the present moment is the only way that we're all going to get through this. And if the mind's going too far future oriented, we're just gonna 
not only feel more anxiety, but perpetuate more anxiety to those we're leading. That actually answers the question that had just come in about the idea that I'm okay right now resetting the button. I'm fine with that. But it's thinking what happens when we crawl out of this in which I'm back to 110 miles an hour again every day. Is there a shock to the system? Are we going to have to build back into that routine, back to the sympathetic after we've been so parasympathetic for so long? You know, if, if I'm to answer that question as honestly and transparently as I can, I'm going to tell you and everyone else straight up, my hunch is I think that the American culture is going to really get its reset in August. When schools reopen and we're back to our quote unquote uh, old routines or normal routines. That being said, I think it's, this pandemic is going to completely shift the way that we operate, the way that we do business, the way we view our families, our lives, recreation, our balance of our nervous systems. And I believe there's going to be a new normal because when our bodies um, shift into this more balanced uh, nervous system state, I think that we're going to feel that ramp up a little bit more and, it's, and we're not going to like it. And I think we're going to realize, you know, maybe I could work from home a little bit more. Maybe I could, you know, use Zoom and other technologies so I can maybe go in the office a little bit later and have more balance in our lives. So I think there's going to be a cultural resetting because the way we were going was uh, generating too much anxiety. Yeah, what's the expression? The toothpaste is out of the tube and by letting these people work from home more and more. Hey, you know, you let me do it back in April. I can do it in October too, can't I? You're right. There could be something cultural there. But I think what I'm also hearing too, that if your prediction is August, then we could practice the ramp up between now and then. So it's not like, let's just use August 1 as being the date. It's not like on August 1, boom, we got to be right back at it 110 miles an hour. Maybe we practice a little bit of that in June and July, if August is truly the date. Yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a bit of a NASA nerd. And so when I watch the NASA channel and, and, I, and I watch the, uh, you know, the space shuttle come back in, you know, re-entry back into Earth's atmosphere is tough, man. And any one of us who's ever gone on vacation for a week or two and has come back has actually found re-entry into the sports world and the business world to be difficult because there's, you know, a pace that our body's just saying, this isn't really uh, as enjoyable. And so I can share with you personally that re-entry is usually hard for a week or two. And then I find that my adrenaline, my cortisol ramps up and then I'm, I'm able to go and be in the grind. But I really think that re-entry back into uh, that previous pace is going to be difficult. It's going to require a week or two or three or four. And I also think that most people are going to say, I just don't want to do it the way that I was doing it. I think there's a more efficient way of, of doing business. Well, and if you think about the younger generation that's been thinking more entrepreneurial anyway throughout our society, and they've approached business differently, those coordinators or those assistant directors of sports communication that are out there, maybe they will force the conversation a little bit to maybe make some of the people above them or people that have been in the business a long time rethink what that strategy is. And so if there is a high road, maybe that's a great byproduct to come out of it. I hope so. 
Um, I'm curious, and I've, I, I actually wrote this down as a, uh, a pre-scripted question. Is it okay to walk out into the backyard and start screaming at the trees and the birds just to let the anxiety out? Is it okay to sort of go off the rail from your normal way of being composed just to get it out? Yeah, that essentially what you're describing is the key word called catharsis. And catharsis means a freeing of repressed emotions. And earlier I talked about the, you know, the bowling ball in your chest, just kind of feeling like people are feeling more anxiety, tension, the tightness in the chest. People are just feeling like, ah. And we literally got to get it off our chest. And catharsis is the way to do it. We've got to emote. We've got to uh, yell, scream, which, by the way, is one reason why sports are so um, big in America. It's, it's the, the socially acceptable place that people can go to an NCAA basketball game, act like a lunatic in the stands, and yell and scream, right? Right. And so yeah. it's, it's catharsis. And right now, more than ever, because the anxiety level that we're experiencing is exceeding all of our great coping, we got to come up with new ideas and techniques. And in addition to working out every day, in addition to getting sleep every day, and eating healthy every day, one, talk to people and vent to people, open up to people. And if necessary, go for a long run in the woods and pick your favorite tree to yell at. Yeah, and for those that are watching via the webcast, they saw me chuckle. I just came up with the best and the worst idea all wrapped into one. Go get a mannequin, dress it up as an umpire, set it in your backyard, and just start screaming at it, right? Because that's the release that we all feel good about, but it's so wrong to yell at an official like that. But, hey, maybe it's your way to be cathartic. I don't know. Just let it flow and let it go. Uh, we've got about – Oh, seven or eight minutes left. For those of us that are working from home now and our spouse or significant other is also working at home, we're now together 24-7. Uh, yeah. We're normally together Saturday and Sundays, yeah. but now we're together Monday through Sunday. Conflict is liable to occur. Uh, yeah. can, is there a trick to recognize conflict coming? And what's the best way to get through the conflict resolution when you have these personalities together 24-7? Yeah, I think it's about trying to understand that we can be in the same space, uh, but different worlds. And that's really what we've got to begin to cultivate and create. Uh, so, for example, I remember talking to a guy at NASA telling me, hey, when that, when that ship's going to go to Mars, we've got people that are going to be in a small, confined space that have to get along in isolation, and they're working on ways to make sure that they can uh, be together, but in different worlds. And so one way that I encourage uh, us to be able to do that is this. If you are working on your computer and you don't have to be on a Zoom call or something, I really encourage you to put your headphones on and listen to Danny Wright's music. Now, Danny Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, is a little known piano player who's going to push your brain into a parasympathetic state, an alpha brainwave state that's going to bring more relaxation. And as soon as we put our headphones in, it's the international symbol of leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I'm in my own world right now. Listen to Danny Wright pushing my brain into a, a relaxed state so I don't lose my mind over here with this conflict that I know may emerge if we if we engage. 
I would think too that we all have our go-to artists. And so for me, it would be Elton John, especially the early stuff. It, it doesn't matter whether it's Danny Wright or otherwise, we just need to go somewhere else mentally, right? Actually, no, it does matter. And the reason why I say Danny Wright is because his music has no lyrics. And as soon as you listen to an artist with lyrics and a song you recognize, you have a memory and it distracts you. With Danny Wright, you've never heard of him except for this connotation. And so his piano music doesn't make you think of anything. It's just pushing your brain to relaxed state. Let me give you an example. If you go to a fancy restaurant, they're going to play relaxing music like Danny Wright and have the lights dim because you're paying at the end. And the longer you stay and relax, the more money they're going to make. But if you go to a fast food restaurant, the lights are bright, the music is fast, the chairs are uncomfortable because you paid at the counter, they got your money. So they want you out, right? Right. And so this music in the background can help our listeners to lower the background anxiety that we're all feeling. So if you're listening to this when you're ramping down in the hour before bed, or if you have it on while you're cooking dinner, uh, even the kids in the house are going to feel like a little bit more calm. Uh, I mean, think about it, like elevator music. Why do they play it? Well, because you're in a box going 100 stories in the air. And they want to push your parasympathetic activity going because if you really think about what you're doing, you're going to freak out. So this kind of music, uh, alpha brainwave music is what I'm talking about. Theta brainwave music is like spa, man. That'll put you to sleep and or close to sleep. And it's very relaxing, but it's hard to work. Danny Wright's music works specifically because he doesn't go into the beta. He doesn't go into theta. He keeps you right in that calm, relaxed alpha brainwave state, which is really efficient for many people to, to still work and cut through their emails. Yeah, my chuckle came in because you're right. That's a reason they don't put nine inch nails as the music in the elevator car, right? <laughs> it's true. Well, I'm glad that my uh, brilliantly misplaced follow-up to Elton John, that it was received so well and it took us to a different place. So that I appreciate. Last question through the dashboard. Uh, there are young professionals who are listening that are concerned that decisions are being made on their behalf without them being able to be integrated or a, an active participant in yeah. those decisions. Uh, is there a way to cope with that, a way to push through those insecure feelings? Because again, if I'm 23, 24 years old, I'm being told to go do this. And I don't have a choice as to whether or not I can participate to say if that's good for me or not. Yeah, look, here's the reality. Uh, it's hard. And let me link this with anxiety. One way we learn to manage anxiety, myself included, is by developing an obsessive compulsive personality. Now that's different than an OCD disorder, which is more cleaning, checking, and counting. The OCD personality is about orderliness, perfectionism, and control. And that's not a bad thing, but it just means that at some level, certain aspects of life are not going to be perfect or not going to be uh, orderly or not within our control. And for many of us working in business and athletics, quite frankly, many successful people, they do have a bit of an obsessive compulsive personality. And in fact, if I was to go to the emergency room today, I really hope that 
each person there has an obsessive compulsive personality and is perfectionistic and controlling and, and orderly. And so because that's so common with athletes and athletics, that the control part is going to be a variable that many of us struggle with, and particularly young people, because you know, look on the totem pole, you're a little bit lower, and you don't necessarily have the same type of voice, maybe as some of those in the the power positions making the decisions. And so, unfortunately, because you're low in the pecking order, it just means that um, your voice may not be heard uh, verbally, but that doesn't mean it can't be heard electronically. Meaning, send an email. Express your thoughts, and here's the key. Always word it with the expression, I feel, not I think. If somebody says, I think, that can be countered with a better thought. If somebody says, I feel, then it puts the recipient in a tough position because they're either going to, one, validate it and be like, yeah, I, I can understand why you feel that way or they're gonna minimize it and dismiss it. And that's not, it's, it's usually it's an indicator that's it's probably not a good leader. And so if one's gonna express it electronically, use the I feel, not the I think statements. Yeah, the other part of that to me, the way I receive that is that I don't have any idea on a minute by minute basis how it is you do feel process. So I certainly can't try to contradict what it is that I don't understand. So that's uh that's a brilliant nugget to pass along, especially for those younger people. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dan Rather's The Big Interview. And at the end of every interview, he asks this question, the same one that I'm going to ask to you. What is it, Jared, at this point that I haven't asked that I should have asked? The antidote to anxiety is reassurance. And it's very important for all of us to understand that we got to find the social support that we've got to have positive self-talk or self-compassion self-talk is even more beneficial than positive self-talk. That the more we can say to ourselves, I got this, or I know this is hard right now, uh, I'm in a tough spot right now, that type of self-reassurance, that type of uh, reframing, that type of self-compassion can go a really long way at helping us to make some of the unknowns known and help us to uh, make the uh, anxiety more manageable. Well, Dr. Jared Spencer, not only do I appreciate the time today and what you're doing here in the spring of 2020, I appreciate you being with us at the summer conference in 2019 in Orlando. And I would hope that we with COSIDA might be able to call on you again from time to time as we work through, again, what I call the weirdness. There's a chance that you can get us over the hump again. That'd be fantastic. For sure. Look, man, I love athletics. I love working in athletics. My brother works in college athletics. And like all of us in athletics, we're here today because other people poured into us and enabled us to be in these roles where we can give back and help others. So if I can have a small but in a significant impact on all of us working within college athletics, especially during the pandemic, it would be my pleasure to do so. Well, thank you. And before everybody starts to roll off, I want to make sure that I hit my closing billboard the way that COSIDA has asked me to. This is the reminder that the webinar is available later on today in the on-demand replay as a webinar on COSIDA.com, on COSIDA's YouTube channel, and in the COSIDA Connect online community. 
there will also be an on-demand podcast of today's presentation. Uh, we will join you again on Tuesday, March the 31st at 2 o'clock Eastern. That's the next listening and leading webinar. The experience of working from home will be the title that day. Sharing advice, tips, and strategies for working remotely. That'll be the COSIDA staff, uh, all who are working virtually through different time zones anyway. So again, thanks for the participation today. Stay healthy and safe out there and make it a great day.